0: Thank you so much. Look, it's wonderful being with you guys, I think. For I was just thinking about what it must be like trying to plant the church in a year like this. If we're honest, I, I, I think it's been a tough year. I'm not going to stand up and say, oh yeah, it's been wonderful. I'm an extrovert, not an introvert. I don't like working from home. You know what I'm saying? And some of you think like me, oh, it's been really tough. Miss seeing friends or family. I was thinking church planting in a time like this is a bit like running a marathon in the Sahara. You, know, you must just think, God, it's ten times harder than it need be. But I do believe God's word wants to bring some hope. And so uh, I just, my prayer was that this uh, this passage from the Bible would feel like an oasis in the desert. And it's interesting. I think Jenny brings that word straight away. Yeah, God wants to meet with us this morning, this afternoon. Isn't that amazing? You know. And sometimes, if I'm really honest, I think, God, do I really want to meet with Him? Oh, it seems a bit of a faff, doesn't it? Well done for turning up, putting on your mask, sitting all this way from people, walking in, walking out, sanitiser. I mean, it's hassle, isn't it? But God wants to meet with us. Father, we do ask that your living word will change us. Lord, we, some of us would have read this many times. Some of us could stand up here and preach it themselves. God, we don't just want this to be a head exercise. We want it to impact our hearts. God, we we don't just want to know about you. We want to know you. And Lord, as we look at your word, we ask that you'd speak into every heart. And we can think, how can that happen? Because you're God. Lord, let me not get in the way of what you want to say. Let people hear from you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel and chapter 3. I'm going to skip through this a little bit, so I should try and read as much as I can. I mean, in many respects, it's quite a long passage to read, but I think this is the Word of God, so it's great to come and spend some time reading God's words together. Daniel 3, and I'm sort of going between verses 1 and 28. The image of gold and the fiery furnace... I'll be honest, this is one of my favourite passages and as Owen said I could preach on anything I like, I thought let's go for one that i got some faith about. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he has set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. (laughs) Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this sometime, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O oh, king, live forever. You've issued a decree, O King, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So the men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisers, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? He replied, certainly, O king. He said, look... I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of a gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, "If we had masov, we, we could be acting this out by now, couldn't we? Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego! Come out of the fire!" And the satraps, prefects, governors and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Nebuchadnezzar, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. And defied the king's command that were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any other god except their own. I mean, I've known this story for years, and let's be honest, you just think, whoa, what a what an incredible story of faith. We have to be really careful not to abuse scripture. This story is something that happened two and a half thousand years ago, it's got wonderful lessons today. I am not telling you to remove your masks. I am not telling you to ignore the government. So how do we look at this? What example do we take from it that is relevant for us? I was gonna say there's an example of what you do and there's an example of what you don't. Let's start with the example of what you mustn't do based upon this story. King Nebuchadnezzar, can I just say, if you get involved in the sermon, you get a better sermon. Owen will back me up on this. If you lean forward, the preach is better. I know you can't sing, but you can say amen and hallelujah at any point. Because you certainly think, King Nebuchadnezzar, you should be going boo by now, bad guy, builds an image of gold. We know the king. I don't think the king set it up personally. He had it done. You can read about that in verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 5, verse 12, verse 14, verse 18. It is very clear about the actions of the king. He made an image. He set it up. He summoned the people. He commanded them what to do, and he threatens them if they're undecided. If this was today, we'd have a soundbite around this, wouldn't we? We'd probably call it Build and Bow Campaign. I'm going to build this image and you're going to bow down. It's as clear as that. It was meant to intimidate the people. It was really, really tall. We do not know what the image was. Some have thought it was the king. Some have thought it was 27 meters high and 2.7 meters wide. All we know is you would have felt intimidated. If you've been to the Shard... And you stand at the bottom, you suddenly feel very small. That's what this, this image was about. It was about intimidating you. What else was it about? It was about impressing you. It was made of gold. Now some commentators say, there's no way it could be solid gold. I mean, how could you have that much gold? We do know he's just nicked 100,000 talents from Jerusalem. But even if it was just gold plated, you would have been impressed. It was meant to impact you. All these instruments, how many times did it keep saying? You know, we could have started saying, oh, which instruments were there? Why? Because they want to create an atmosphere. I love it when these guys lead us in worship. You know what I'm saying? It's one thing, look, it's great in people watching, but when you're here, it's just brilliant, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? God, they play and it just sort of captures you. It impacts you. It was meant to inspire you. The guest list was all the high, the mighty, the special, the shapers of society. Everyone was there. Yeah, I'm I'm all the eyes. I hope you've got that. It was meant to interconnect you. Oh, all the people bowed down. Everyone does the same. It was imposed upon you. The furnaces were there. Some think it was the brickmakers' furnaces that were there. Do you know, even the judges bowed down. There was no neutral justice in this society. It was imposed. You do what the king says. And so if I had to say one I that described the whole thing, it's this. Idolatry. Because what it mentions throughout is actually it's about worship. Worship is mentioned 11 times. You could look at it through. Verse 5, 6, 7, 10, 11, 12, 14, 15, 18, and 28. So ultimately, what King Nebuchadnezzar was doing was saying, you're to come and worship my idol. Now you might say, oh, 2020, Pete, what's that got to do with today? Nancy Pearcy, she's an American evangelical author. She says, an idol is anything we want more than God's. Anything we rely on more than God. Anything we look to for greater fulfillment than God. Idolatry is thus the hidden sin driving all other sins. So what could that be? It could be pleasure. That's alcohol, food, drugs, sex. It could be power. Maybe we've struggled with a lack of control. It could be relationship. If I only had a husband or a wife. If I only had a child. It could be knowledge. If only I had a master's, if only I had a PhD. It could be possessions. A.W. Tozer, the American pastor, preacher and author, says this, an idol of the mind is as offensive to God as an idol of the hand. Let me ask you a question. Do you have an idol in your life? Okay, let me ask another question. What is the idol in your life? You see, when I'm challenged by this example, I often think I'm probably more like the baddie in scripture than I'd like to admit. And I could almost think, there's a boo. I'm the Christian guy, look, I was raised a Baptist. Do you know what I'm saying? I've been following Jesus my whole life. We can trace our ancestors back to Jesus in our family we've been following for so long. I'm one of the good guys. No, I wonder sometimes if I'm one of the bad guys. I wonder if I've created an idol of something other than God it's not meant to be a pity party I'm sure this, uh, this talk will be taken down probably after today I was due to have had a sabbatical I've worked for the church for 24 years and this was the year I was going to have a sabbatical planned the whole trip to go off to the States I've got three grown up kids we're all going to go together and the whole lot gets canned so you say what's the year been like? oh it's not been a great year why is that? Because Jesus isn't enough? Or because I wanted Jesus and something else? I wanted Jesus and my holiday. I wanted Jesus and my time with my friends. I wanted Jesus and what I've deserved. Had I made an idol in my own life, of an experience, why would I look back and say, oh yeah, really, really bad. Now, look, I'm not saying it has been a tough year, but I just think, what's my idol become? The song says, Jesus is enough. I don't know that I've ever preached the prosperity gospel but I wonder if I've lived it. Because the way I live I think well actually I want Jesus but I want Jesus and a really happy marriage. I want Jesus and I want all my kids to do well at university. I I want Jesus but as long as I've got Jesus and my personal health. Have I set up an idol? Then we get the example in the story What I call the example of do, the example of don't, the example of do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three very successful men who make a tough choice. It's very simple, this choice. You have got your position, your family, your wealth, your security, your life. You can have all of that. Or you can have God. Choice is yours. John Lennox, he's a Northern Irish mathematician and apologist, says, God is the great deliverer, but he will not deliver us from having to make our own decisions. The tension in this story continues. Even with their answer, they do not know if they will live or not. Will you take the consequences rather than compromise? That is really what comes out of here. Faith is complete trust and confidence in someone or someone else or something else. I, I love this this definition of faith. God can, God will, but even if he does not, we will worship him. I think if if, if I'm on a good day, I can do one and two. God can, and God will. <laughs> God, can. God does the impossible and I trust God God can I, I honestly believe he really will do I get to number three but even if he does not we will worship him Joyce Baldwin she's a commentator that I read her book English Evangelical and Biblical Scholar it's a Tyndale commentary on this she says they do not doubt the power of their God to deliver them from the king's furnace, but they have no right to presume that he will do so. Oh, I thought that. You see, this challenges my whole thing of the gospel because what I really think is God's come to make my life better. But actually, when I realized I was dead and now I'm alive, I'm on his mission, he's not on mine. And that's really the gospel, isn't it? Now these people have got faith, they were so saved ultimately in the fire, not from the fire. I want to be saved from the fire. (laughs) If I'm really honest, (laughs) yeah, I stand up for Jesus, but I, I just don't put me into the fire. God does not always save. Where have we ever got this phrase from, the safest place to be is in the will of God? It's so comforting and so unbiblical. The safest place is to be in the will of God, and yet Paul is shipwrecked and stoned and beaten. The safest place to be is the will of God, and yet how many of the disciples were killed for their faith? Bishop Hugh Latimer, who had been chaplain to King Edward, his last words to Nicholas Ridley, the Bishop of London, before being burnt at the stake by the Catholic Queen Mary, said this, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. For we shall this day light such a candle in England, as I trust by God's grace, shall never be put out. What does it really mean to make the choice? Do I want life, family, possessions, success, career or do I want only Jesus I cannot comprehend these statistics the International Bulletin of Missionary Research martyrs who lost their lives prematurely as a result of witness reckon that in a decade there were 270 new Christian martyrs every 24 hours They reckon within a decade, a one million people had been martyred for Christ. I can't comprehend that. All I can think of is these three friends loved God more than life. And then I asked myself the question, how much do I love God? I was always taught when you point one finger at somebody else, you point three at yourself. Please, I'm not trying to stand here and suddenly say, I've got it all sussed, yeah, I'm pointing, that's it, I'm back in the car, I'm off to London, it's not my problem. I think, oh God, do I love you like this? So there's an example of what you don't do, there's an example of what you do do. And I just want to bring out three gospel points, and I know that we're then going to break bread together, which is the gospel picture of it all. The first lesson I want to bring is this. God deserves our exclusive worship. The king sets up an image of gold. We know from Daniel 2, which I think is so ironic. I mean, I feel I read quite a bit. But if you read the whole book, in in Daniel 2, it says God sets up the king and sets them down. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because the king then sets this idol and he thinks he's in charge. But actually, if you just read the chapter before, you realize God is really the one who's pulling the strings. Kings can set themselves up against God but God is secure and confident. If we'd have had time we could have unpacked even Psalm 2 which explains that I've installed my king my on Zion, my holy mountain a word fulfilled in Jesus at the time he was lifted on the cross in payment for our folly. Ultimately, God is the only one who's worthy of our worship. Number two. What would be my gospel application of this? We are called to live faithfully. Even more than the example I would say of the three friends who are affirming their resolve, I think about Jesus tempted by Satan in the desert. Matthew 4, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The three men, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, were faithful to God, even to a possible death. Jesus resisted a stronger temptation on multiple occasions. The three men were fallen and therefore the wages of sin is death. But Jesus never sinned and still took our place by dying on a cross. Oh God, help me to live faithfully for you. My third gospel point that I'd want to bring out of this is future hope. Hope. Even though they stood firm, the three friends are thrown into the fire. We will have trouble in this life. Peter, writing his letter, 1 Peter 4, says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I read a book last year, The Insanity of God. It's about the persecuted church around the world. This guy had literally gone all around the world and he'd gone to so many places and he wrote some shocking, shocking stories really. And this was an American guy. And he said, I often said to them, oh, look, what can I pray for you? Shall I pray that the persecution stops? (laughs) And they said, oh, no, the persecution would stop tomorrow if we denied Jesus. But if we read the Bible, why would we expect that in this life? We're not living for this life, is what they said. (laughs) And you just felt humbled. And I guess partly that's the kind of faith that I want to stir in us out of a story like this. Do I honestly believe in eternity with God forever? Or do I think, what's comfortable for me today? What's comfortable in this life? I think one of the challenges of COVID, if I'm really honest, is our world's got smaller. I I know myself, we do have a very small office now. We're back working in the office. We're on tier two. I'm not quite sure how long that will last. But before that, I worked at home, and you just think, it's just me and the screen. And We had a lodger with us at the time. There were six of us, so that felt quite a lot. But I could just be in the house for days, weeks, months. And I think, actually, when we understand something of the gospel, we've got to think bigger and wider. We don't just even think about this week, this month. We think about eternity. I've no idea what it's costing you to be part of a church plant. But I am confident in a God who rewards you for eternity. And you might think, ah, it's been hard work. Owen keeps saying, come on, let's give again. <laughs> come on, let's, let's make some more food for the fireworks. It's a, it's a, it's a price of going again. But actually, when we read Scripture, we, we see something, don't we? Of Hey, come on, let's, let's not make idols of our own life. Let's instead be those that are radically sold out for him. I, I would love it if you... Look, I know you've got nice banners already, so I'd be... Kept, I'd love it if you put a new banner up. Our God is able. Our God will. But even if he doesn't, we're going to worship him. Because I to think, wouldn't that be the, the best thing that we could possibly be as a church? You, who knows? I, I think, God, I believe you can, I believe you will, but you know, whatever else happens this time next year, I still want to be worshipping you. Yes. Let's take a moment to pray, and then we're going to get led and break in breaking bread together. Father, I... I come myself and say, look, I'm just so sorry that I get caught up in comfort. I'm sorry that I get fixated on the here and the now. I major in the momentary, rather than fix my eyes on the momentous and the eternal. And God, I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry when my Christianity has become my agenda rather than yours. I'm sorry when I've set these idols up. You know what they are in my own life. Father, please forgive me. I pray instead that you'd stir up in us together. I mean, this wasn't a Daniel moment. This was Shadrach, Mishael. There was a sense of unity. There was a sense of community that says, come on, our God is able. Our God will. And even if he doesn't, we're going to worship him. God, let us be those that have that eternal perspective. Whatever happens, oh God, we want to be those that say, we worship you. As we break bread, we're just so stirred. I mean, Jesus, you personified this. You laid down your life. You left the glory of heaven you literally became a child you lived on an an earth you'd created and you weren't recognised or appreciated you were stripped naked in a society that honoured you were hung on a cross for our sin but you ultimately conquered and you rose and you give us hope forevermore Let us be those that fix our gaze upon you. In these tough days of change and when we feel out of control, and even when we feel uncertain about our job, golly, what's happening? Let us be those with faith that gaze upon you for your glory. Amen.